This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to iFanboys Talk Explode with Brian Edward Hill. This is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and I'm here with uh, Brian Edward Hill. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Josh. Thanks for having me on. You're very, very welcome. I'm glad to have you. Um, and I think I was, I was just telling you, I, I don't really know a heck of a lot about you. I know that uh, a little over a year ago, I think uh, I started reading the Michael Cray series. Mm. And my, <laughs> to be honest, my first instinct was, what is this? And then by the <laughs> second issue, I was like, oh, I, I get it. It's not in continuity, so that's why it's weird. And then I started to really enjoy it. Uh, you, you know, it's one of those. It was different enough that I, I think I was. I didn't figure out where it fit for a little bit. Uh, but as we kept going through the series, good. Then all of a sudden, you you were having a moment over the last year. I, I think uh, I started seeing you writing all sorts of stuff. Where did where did you come from? Well, you know, um, kind of backing up pre comics. I mean, I'm, sure. You know, I uh, I was always into the medium and all that, but I um, you know went to film school, went to mm-hmm. NYU to be a writer director. Okay. And directing is far more expensive than writing, so when I came out of school, I uh, just wrote uh, like a lot of scripts and and tried to sort of get my foothold in the industry that way because it was easier to write screenplays and try to direct short films. This is back when everything was shot on film. So okay. It was a thousand dollars a minute. Can I ask it, when? Yeah. Like, like sure. what year are we talking I gra- about? I went undergrad, so I came out in 99. I'm 41. Okay. Okay. I, I graduated undergrad in 99, too, so you're the same age, basically. Okay. Right. And, and I went to television school, and my senior year was the first year that we had digital editors. So I oh, learned man, everything, like, like cutting tape, like, you know, taping film together and, and all that stuff. And then immediately after I graduated, everything went digital, and you could do it on your laptop. And I was like, oh, I blew that timing. Well, the changeover happened to the class uh, younger than me, right? Mm-hmm. So we just kept missing everything. <laughs> you know, like we would we would struggle with sixteen millimeter, eight millimeter film film cameras, yep. and then the next year we'd be on the way, and then they would get a bunch of Canon XL ones and nonlinear <laughs> editing systems. While I'm sitting there, you know, cutting my fingers in the steam bank doing real to real edits with razor blades. <laughs> uh, so we were really jealous about that, you know. And I had to petition actually. I shot like a little terrible little film senior year and I, ha- I remember I had to petition NYU for the ability to edit it digitally um, now I shot it on film so mm-hmm. I had like 16 millimeter film so I had to take the 16 millimeter film and then I had to, to, to change the way I would develop it so instead of getting a work print on film I got tapes mm-hmm. uh, like three, three quarter um, uh, videotapes and then I cut it together uh, on an Avid, uh, you know, like way back in the day before you could just cut a feature film on a cell phone. Sure. You know, it, it took an entire dedicated computer and like 17 different drives to try to cut a short film. Um, but 
but yeah, yeah, I totally get that pain of learning a bunch of things that suddenly become antiquated. But I'll tell you what, the good thing about it is if you do struggle with film, you understand the economy of editing. Yes. Uh, and when, when every time you cut something, it takes a physical action. And you know you have to give it to a negative cutter. You know, who, and some people listening to this who just shoot digitally have no idea what I'm talking about. So a negative cutter uh, used to be this kind of treasured job in filmmaking. It was a person who cut the negative. Because once you developed your film and you got a negative back, you never worked from your negative. You worked from a work print, which was a lesser quality yeah. uh, print of your negative. But once you finished all your edits, it would go to a negative cutter. And that person's job was to cut the actual negative. Because once the negative is cut, you can't undo that. Right? You can't. It's like trying to unring, unring a bell. Yeah. Uh, so when you're in that mindset, you think a lot about editing. You know, and you think a lot about, do I have to cut here? Do I need to cut here? Uh, and, and having that philosophy, I think, makes things a little better because you don't just have the, you know, you don't think with the ability, well, I can just cut this, flip this around, change the shot up here. I can do this, put a lot on it, and I'm, you know, I'm all done. Um, so I'm glad I had to struggle through that stuff. And I'm also glad that there are easier tools now to use for filmmaking yeah. so you don't have to do all that stuff anymore. But it is one of those things where I don't know if it's like like every, when I go shop for records now, I really like that because otherwise everything is too easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like know, there's like, value to it. It's not necessarily better, but there's something about it. You know, instead of having the ability to do everything, you're limited and there's freedom in that, I guess. Well, technology has always affected media and it's always changed things. Yeah. And, you know, growing up, you know, my, my parents would marvel at the accessibility of videotape. Mm hmm. Because that was a new thing, you know, and now I marvel at the accessibility of being able to watch virtually any film you want, whenever you want, and any device you have, right? So um, it certainly changed, I think, our relationship to media. Uh, you know, no longer do you have to go to that one mom-and-pop video store because they may have a, a copy of John Woo's The Killer. And you have to put yourself in, a, like, a waiting list, and um, 35 days later someone else turned it in and you rush over to the video store because they'll only hold it for you for seven hours or something and then you take it home and it was precious, right? <laughs> and that, that VHS tape and its terrible quality um, was, a, was a precious thing because you had to work hard to kind of get it. You know, now you can sort of see things instantly, which is good to have the access, but, uh, 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 you know, it, we, did, we have lost some of the, the triumph of being able to acquire physical media when that was all you had. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, so I came out of film school and I was doing a lot of writing. Uh, I thought I was going to be an independent filmmaker. You know, I, I was pattering myself after, uh, like, Steven Soderbergh, you know, not mm -hmm. necessarily in terms of the content uh, that Soderbergh was doing, although I am a big fan of Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I think it's a fantastic movie. <laughs> but just, like, the, you know, the way that Soderbergh would just make a movie. You know, he was this very kind of facile with filmmaking and uh you know i thought i would be one of those people that would just kind of scrape a movie together then scrape another movie together and so on and so forth um and i was writing scripts at the same time that i didn't want to make because they were too expensive you know mm -hmm. they were like action thrillers and sci-fi you know kind of sample movies i guess um and one of those got optioned which led to me writing a dolph lundgren movie <laughs> um gosh i don't remember what year that was that might have been Pre 9 11, I think I wrote that picture. 
I don't even remember. You must have been a kid. <laughs> I was young, man. I was real young. And, you know, special thanks to Dolph's patience for dealing with me because I thought I knew everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was like the first thing that I wrote that I got paid for and it got shot and didn't make a lot of money off of it. But uh, it was a fantastic experience because I was able to see my words getting filmed, mm-hmm. uh, which was, was really crazy. Yeah, that was always in the comics. Yeah, I was in, you know, it, you know, comics were a huge part of my childhood. You know, I, I, um, they were, they were like my, probably my most treasured form of storytelling, uh, growing up. And I never really thought about getting involved in them. Um, but when I was in, New, when I was in New York, there was a Starbucks on Astro Place. I don't know if it's still there. New York changes every ten minutes, but uh, it was there when I was there. And it, it had a huge table. This is back when it wasn't a turn and burn kind of place. They had a lot of plugs. You mm-hmm. could like buy a cup of coffee and sit there all day and work on your great American novel. Uh, and there was this huge round table and a bunch of comic book artists would come there and they would draw and they would bring their, their lighted tables and they'd plug them in and they'd have their, you know, their vellum paper there. They would be doing pages or, or sketches, what have you. And this is like a fool Richardson, Nelson Blake, the um, second, okay. uh, Christian, Christian Dabari, uh, uh, Damien Scott would pop through sometimes, uh, another artist, Vincent Spencer. So, and these people became friends of mine because I would, I saw the the work and, and I'm like, oh, well, these 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 folks, they uh, they like comics because they, they make them. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would just start talking storytelling, and that really woke up a desire to, to write comics. But there was still a great distance between wanting to do it and being able to do it. Uh-huh. And I remember, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna name who this person is. I don't know if they still work at Marvel, but I remember a friend of mine got me a meeting with an editor at Marvel who read some of my work and explicitly told me that I was not good at writing comics, that I should probably do something else with my life. Uh, and uh, kind of shut that down really quickly. But because of my nature, I paid that no mind. I was going to say, like, that's that's a horrendous, like, that's that's one of those things where somebody's like, oh, I'm going to do them a favor. But I guess he did in a way. <laughs> I, you, know, I suppose, you know, like, you, you look, if you're trying to forge a career in entertainment, you have to ignore people yeah. that tell you you can't because you're going to get a lot of them, right? Yeah. And they just they just have to be wrong. Not that your work is perfect, and there's you know there's certainly a distance you can travel to make your work better, but you really just can't internalize people's judgments like that. Yeah. Uh, so then I kind of you know just stopped and sputtered along, and I sold a script to Universal uh, years later, and that moved me out to Los Angeles. Um. And then when I was out here, I'd done like a one shot for Top Cow here, a short story for Top Cow there, like drips and drips, you know. How'd you Ron get hooked Morris, up with them? Well, well, Nelson, uh, who's a very good friend of mine, okay. was working with Top Cow. And then he uh, yeah. sent some of my writing over to Matt Hawkins, who read it and liked it. And Ron Mars uh, was looking to bring some new people in to do some fill-in work in a trade paperback, uh, mm-hmm. Witchblade trade paperback okay. back yeah. that he was putting out. So. Um, and you know, special thanks to Ron for getting it all started. That's why I, I love Ron. Obi. Yeah, it's... I call him Obi Ron. Yeah, you know, because he uh, he kind of you know brought me into the Jedi Council. Um, <laughs> and then when I moved out to LA, I mean, part of it was I had sold a screenplay, right? Sure. Um, the Dolph movie didn't move a lot of needles because it was like a direct-to-video action movie, and you know, no one would pay attention. But when I sold a screenplay to a major studio, uh, then people started to pay attention. That was the unfortunate thing. You know, it's a lot of times. You don't get work in comics until you don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like it's just a weird game, man. Um, 
but you know, I, I, uh, I'd become decent friends with Matt over the years. And he brought up, uh, this idea he had for a book called Postal. Um, and he asked me if I'd be interested in, in, in writing it with him. And there wasn't much on it, but I sparked to it because I had a little like Truman Capote kind of in cold blood sort of feel, you know, there's such old, um, I forgot who the director was, but this old Robert Mitchum picture, uh, night of the hunter, you know, it kind of felt like a rural crime and secrets, you know, and growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, as I did, I felt pretty connected to, you know, the idea of rural crime and, and all that. So I, I sent Matt back a couple pages, like, this is what I would do with it, and he liked that. And so that's really what got me started, was Postal. And I wrote about 25 issues of that. Uh, and they, um, no, I mean, not many people read it, but it, it's, it's generally well-received. Uh, and uh, that kind of got me on a few radars. And at the same time, I was, you know, writing more screenplays. I was getting more screenwriting jobs, and, and, and that was going forward. Um, how did you uh, how did you find the sort of transition of going to I mean it's one thing to sort of do a couple of short stories but when you're mm. you know 25 issues is, is, is no small thing and, and you know you're basically learning how to script comics during that time or were you just sort of applying a lot of the same principles as with screenplays well you know some of the principles certainly carry over like it's you know writing is sort of like a series of um, Russian nesting dolls right so a novel is the most liberal format you have because you can kind of do whatever you want. You know, you can either be brutally efficient like Hemingway in a short story, or you can be as indulgent as Dostoevsky, you know, if you want to be, it just, it just depends on what you want to do. Uh, and then screenplays have to be more efficient than novels because there is a page count issue. And then certain things have to happen on certain pages. You know, the first act ends here, second act ends there, what have you. Uh, and comic books are just a even more efficient form, right? It's it's uh, you know you're you're accountable for time and pages in, in in comics in a way. But the screenwriters I always admired were the efficient ones, you know, the ones that got into a scene really late and got out of a scene really early. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped. And then being a, a filmmaker, um, even though I don't make many films, I should make more films. But even though I don't make many films, I, I do think visually. So even when writing a screenplay, I'm seeing images, I'm seeing sequences, that sort of thing. So I think those things helped me apply that to comics. But, but Postal was really challenging, Josh. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's the nature of the book. It's, it's a crime drama, but it's not a book that has a lot of inherent conflict. You know, it's not like, well, there's a, there's a man in a bat suit and then there's a killer clown and then they have to fight, right? <laughs> you can't um, get away with throwing a monster in there then. Yeah, you know, all of the conflict had to be very organic, and it had to be born out of choices and consequences, you know, and uh, it it was enormously challenging to tell a story like that. Did you struggle with, I mean, you can get away with, in in a film, I mean, you can can go on the strength of dialogue and actors who are compelling. It's a little harder to do in a comic book form because you don't necessarily want, you know, pages and pages and pages of people talking at each other. Um, Yeah, it, it, it is. Well, you know, part of it is... I try to be very efficient with my dialogue. Mm-hmm. So if there is a conversational aspect to my work, I, I don't try to fill the panels with words so that the reader can move quickly through the conversation. Uh, the other part of it is the artist you're working with. With Postal, I was working with a guy named Isaac Goodhart, mm-hmm. uh, who is a very, very talented uh, penciler who's very good at acting and performances, you know, and subtleties, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, so because Isaac was so good at visually depicting mood and thought, 
I, you know, we got away with a little bit of that, but there was always, there's always a cloud in postal, right? There's always an umbrella of potential violence that everything is happening under, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, um, uh, uh, I think it was Hitchcock who talked about, you know, if a conversation is boring, put a gun under the table, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, so postal is a book where there's always a gun under the table. And, uh, I think that's what made the conversational aspects of it not as boring as they, they could have been. Um, but working on a book like that, that didn't have superhero aesthetics, uh, you couldn't make superhero choices. It really forced me to not only study uh, a lot of different works, um, but apply sort of different techniques than I would have if I was just doing something I could have written on, on autopilot, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, if I start off with Blade, it's like, well, he fights vampires. That's pretty easy. <laughs> um you know, I was reading a lot of things, man. I was reading, you know, obviously studying McLeod while I was working on it and then looking at some like Howard Chaikin stuff, his earlier stuff, you know, Frank Miller, you know, uh, Grant Morrison's earlier stuff. Like th- those were the kinds of books, Azarello, like those were the kinds of books that um, I was uh, swimming in, trying to become fluent in the technique of. Um, yeah, and so I was doing that and then uh, I, I got a job writing on Ash versus Evil Dead for the last season, season three. And it was right around there when DC contacted me about doing Wildstorm, mm-hmm. doing Michael Cray. Right? Um, Were you familiar like, with sort of those characters or what the previous carnation, incarnation of them was? I mean, tangentially, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> I was near the end of it when I looked up who Michael Cray was and I was like, oh, it's, it, I see. It's a character because I didn't know it was for all intents and purposes new to me, but then I sort of understood because I didn't read a lot of those when they came out. I'd read bits yeah, of like, them here and there, but not everything. You know, I, I I did dip into comics into the uh, uh, '90s, you know, but there was just so many of them, and they all had a gun yes. and like pouches and stuff, and and I it, it, they all blended together. So I, I won't say I was fluent in it, but uh, Warren, you know, reached out uh, with DC, and he had a very specific plan for his book, and some marching orders for uh, the Michael Cray book, <laughs> and I you know I I just respond to the potential to do something interesting, right? Like it, I, I'm not a guy who walks around carrying other people's characters in his heart. So hmm. I'm not really drawn to too many, like, I, you know, I'm dying to write this character. I'm dying to write that character. That's not really how I think. Uh, I, I'm more interested in well, what's the arena I get to play in. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do I get to do? Right. What do I get to explore about myself, about the world and what kind of experience do I think I can deliver for the, the readers of, of the book? And so Warren was very supportive of me uh, making the choices I wanted to make. Um, and, yeah, I went ahead and did that. And I think that's really what got it started because, you know, now I did something for the big two. And, mm-hmm. and I suppose in comics that that means more than if you're just like toiling away on an indie book for a while or what have you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, it's, you have to do that to get in the door. But then when you get in the door, you have to do a thing. And that period can last forever. Uh, or yeah. it can happen really fast is sort of the two ways that seemed because it used to be you'd sort of make your way up in the books and it, and and you know eventually you know after years and years that you'd get x-men and it over the last couple of decades like it keeps going faster like you get put on a really big book if you have just a couple of sort of good books in a row although that's risky because you're then on the big stage maybe before you're ready um not you specifically but 
it, it's just interesting how comics has changed that way. Because all of a sudden, I mean, you were doing, you know, you had to run a detective. You were you were doing literally. I I saw your, I was like, wow, this him too. And, you know, you've got a Vertigo series now. Like it seems like it came right. on really fast. Did it feel that way? Um, a, a little. You know, uh, you know, it, it's I work a lot in a lot of different forms. Gosh, mm-hmm. so. You know, I'm always working on like, you know, for the past three years, I've been writing television consistently, whether it's been Titans or Ash vs. Evil Dead. I usually have some kind of rewrite screenplay assignment I do once a year or uh, I pitch a screenplay and write it. I'm, you know, I'm developing some of my own television uh, content as well. So I'm just doing a lot of work and uh, the comics has kind of kept coming in. But part of it's also like when they release you know, yeah. because you can be working on a thing for a while sure. and and then they kind of all shotguns out in the same month. And it sounds like, you know, you just landed in the center of, of complex culture. But it's really just these things that you've been working on for a while just happen to kind of, you know, come out at the same time. Yeah, I um, see. yeah that's true. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's like like the Batman thing. I never thought I would write Batman. I, mean, <laughs> I love Batman. There are two characters that I do, uh, uh, you know, kind of keep close to to me you know like they they matter to me and and one is john constantine and the other is batman mm-hmm. and i figured well i might bump my way into constantine eventually and i got to write my own kind of wild storm version of him in yeah. michael craig in the second half but with batman i never thought i'd write batman <laughs> because i don't you know i i don't really consider myself uh, a person that's in great synchronicity with comics culture um, you know, I, I love <laughs> comics and, uh, you know, I love other people's comics, but I'm not built to be Tom King or, or Scott Snyder. Like I just don't have the gift they have, mm-hmm. I think to, to express all of who they are through the medium, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm always pulled towards photography and, and filmmaking and, and sort of other things. So I, I thought, you know, I would, I would usually be working on some kind of comic book and it would be out there but i didn't really think that like mainline dc action figure bedsheet lunchbox stuff was really in my future mm-hmm. uh but um i was on titans at the time i was working on uh the show in toronto i was on set and i got an email from chris conroy over at dc who was like hey you know, hey brian i met i think i might have met chris before uh really nice guy I, I, I love chris he's like family he's a really nice guy and he asked me if I'd be interested in doing a uh, detective comics arc with uh, like Black Lightning, you know, because they wanted to bring Black Lightning and, and you know, those characters in there. And I was like, uh, sure. Uh, and they gave me a lot of space to do it. You know, I, I, I it's hard, you know, because coming on after Tinyan, who's like, you know, God mode in the game of Batman. Um, and Tom was doing what he was doing, you know, at the same time. And it's, it was very difficult to figure out, well, how do I do anything interesting in between these two gentlemen, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, like, how does how does that work? And I actually reached out to Tom uh, about it because uh, I had spoken with Tom before because Sheriff of Babylon was a, uh, a very important and still is book for me. Yeah. You know, I, I was really moved by that book. And, and that book, I think I was working on Postal at the time when it, when it first came out. And uh, it just really struck me, you know, and, and it kind of reignited my love of the potential of what could be done in the comic book. So I just reached out to Tom and I was like, man, I don't know, man. Like, you know, 
you know, is there space for this? And he's been, you know, he's been incredibly supportive. Him and Scott reached out to them both. Yeah. Because I knew Scott from my like, an image panel. I had a book called Romulus. I did a little four-issue book that I put out with Nelson Blake. Uh, and I'd met Scott on a panel I, I did for that book. And they were very supportive and, and just wanted me to kind of, you know, explore Batman the way I wanted to. And I really wanted to get a little away from the familiarity of Batman. And I wanted to, like, kind of re-explore, you know, kind of Batman, the gothic gargoyle of, of, of Gotham City, you know, and... Uh, uh, the legend, the theatrics, all that stuff. I wanted to bring some of that stuff back in there. So uh, it came up with the villain that challenged him and all that. And DC was super supportive. You know, Dan DiDio was great about it. Jim was great about it. Uh, and and it just kind of, you know, I did that. And I was writing that really while I was working on Titans. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I was, you know, in Toronto writing the first couple of issues of that. And then when I got done with shooting, I came back and, uh, you know, finished that off. Um yeah, it's, so it's, it's weird, man. I feel like I slip and fall into everything you see me doing. Well, I'm curious, like, were you, while you were putting out Postal and you, you'd done stuff with Image, like, were you, you know, were you going to shows and, and you know, networking? And were you, you were lobbying not, for that work? No, not really, man. I mean, <laughs> when... I had a really I, similar conversation with Mark Russell where I was like, do you even want to be doing this? It's like, I just started. I don't know. I didn't even try for it. You're kind of well, saying the you know, same thing. I, there, was a, there was a couple years where I was going to shows and introducing myself to people and all of that and it was nothing it was happening it was just yeah. it was going nowhere right um so i kind of gave up on the idea that going to shows is going to be helpful for me mm-hmm. and uh instead i was like well you know if i just keep doing creative work and express interest in, in comics as a medium maybe somebody will find a, a space for me to operate and uh i think that's largely what happened it, it it's it, it wasn't disinterest. It was sure. just, it, I know, I, if something's not effective, I'm not going to keep doing it. Yeah, no, I, so, yeah, I totally get that. And I, th- I think that those shows have become, like, I, I don't know, if you're an editor, I don't know how you navigate that because it's Well, insane. yeah, and for, for writers that are, are listening to this that are, you know, trying to kind of build their careers and, mm-hmm. and all of that, um, you know, I, I'd say, like, the hardest thing about being a new writer is nobody wants to read your work. Yeah. Uh, because reading takes an investment. It takes little investment to look at someone's art. It happens instantly, right? Um, but writing, you have to sit down and you have to read it. And most editors have things that they have to read mm-hmm. that are stacked up, um, so they don't have a lot of time to read new things. Um, and that's not even kind of I, try to get somebody to draw it if you want that. That's uh... yeah, like getting you know, getting someone to draw it is you know is good. Like doing anything you can to add context, yeah. right? Because uh, context is what gives people interest. You know, if I if I say, "Hey, I just wrote this R and B song," nobody cares. <laughs> but if I'm the weekend and I say, "Hey, I just wrote this R and B song," same song, mm-hmm. people care, right? So uh, context is really important. And I and I think what really happened was I was working on Postal, and you know, and the reviews were decent, and I was doing some podcasts here and there, and I started interacting with people on social media, um, and it was a lot of awareness by uh, uh, just kind of being ever present, you know, I think that's more of what it was. So more than going to shows, it was just like, I probably just kept popping up on a website here and there Uh or popping up on a podcast or, 
you know, I'd write a Twitter thread about writing or something and it would get carried and some editors would see it like that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that's more what put me on people's radar. And and I'm and I'm pretty I'm fast. You know, it doesn't yeah. take me a long time to put a story together. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty easy to work with. I think I'm um, a good writer for artists to work with because I'm I'm very collaborative in, in that way. I mean, if you're working and, in episodic television, then you, you have to be able to you got to be able to get beat up a little bit. You got to take some body blows. You know, that's the thing. If you're working in Hollywood as a writer, you're going to, you're going to take some body blows and some of them are going to be below the belt. Right. So that's just how the game works. And I think maybe my demeanor has also helped me out a little bit, you know, uh, not like turning mountain and turning like molehills into, into mountains, you know, and, and, and not making a small setback, larger than it needs to be and becoming really sanguine about it nah, i'm kind of zen man i, I go with the flow <laughs> yeah that, i mean then that has a lot to do with it there's 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 talent and then there's aptitude and when those things come together i think that that's that's a really good i mean like i i lived in hollywood i worked in bad production stuff and and i realized i was like i don't think i have the aptitude to be a writer i took the things like i could write a script i could write a great script but i took everything else too serious too personally i guess um, well, you know, I think Neil Gaiman at some recent uh, commencement address, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the graduation address, said that you know you, like the three things are um, very good at it, easy to work with, and on time, and you yeah. need two. Yeah, Char- Charles Soule <laughs> says something really similar too. Maybe you got it from right, him. Like you need you need, you need you need two of those. Yeah. Right? And uh, I think I'm easy to work with, and I'm on time. I'll let people decide how good I am, but. You know, I think I think honestly, the easy to work with and on time part of it. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a that's well, probably a big part. Well, of it. let me ask you because, uh, like I said, I started reading Michael Cray, and and, and you know, it was, it was difficult to put my finger on it, but I know as I went through it, I was like, oh, there's really something here. And and to me, I know that you weren't a new comic writer because you had done a lot of postal in there, but relatively speaking, you know, working in in the format of you know for DC, mm-hmm. you seemed it, you seemed to have the language down pretty easily and pretty quick. And it takes people along, even if you're good at writing other things, and certainly all the YA writers coming, it takes, you can always spot a new comic book writer. Right, too, many, right. too many words, pacings off, things like that. And and right away I was like, oh, this guy has it. Like you, you got the language down. And then over the next you know year or so, I've, I've read a bunch of other stuff you did. And, and I didn't sense that amateur curve at all, which is interesting because it is a different language, you know, like translate. I always found like I've written TV specs, I've written screenplays, I've written comics. Comics are by far the hardest thing that I've written a novel. Like it's, it's comics is weird because there's nothing like it. And it's, well, you know, well, one, thank you. That, that's very kind, Josh. Um, well, I tell you what, like when I was writing screenplays, what I was always struggling to do was create the same experience I would have reading a comic book in a screenplay. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of analysis when it came to how comics were put together. And the writers uh, whose work I admired were always people that were pressing against the water's edge of the form, right? Mm-hmm. So like the, the book that I read the most is probably Electra Assassin. And um, That is pushing that, against – yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, it. That's I, the definition. I, I read that thing maybe maybe once a month. You know, and, and whenever I'm starting a new project, I always flip through and read like a few pages or read one of the chapters or, or, or what have you, uh, because it just, you know, that book set off little explosions in my head, you know, and more, more than the plotting and the story of it, just the moments of execution, you know, like a splash page of Electra jumping out of a window and a little caption that says, and I fall, right? <laughs> like, like little things like that or, or thinking to um, Batman the cult, 
you know, and the 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 way the poetry uh, of it in the inner monologue is adding so much gravity to the images. You know, my present reality is not a pretty thing. It's a thing of agony, delirium. It's hard to think damn hard. You know, like those things burn themselves in, into my psyche. I remember like a panel from Nightfall, and uh, uh, I think Dixon wrote it, and, and and Batman was on some roof, and he's like, you know, you know, he's you know, he's talking about something hurts and. Uh, he says to himself, you know, I focus into the pain and through it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, and so little things like that. So I, I've spent years analyzing comics, trying to figure out this, because this was before the Marvel movie boom, right? This mm-hmm. was, this, you know, I, I was, I started as a screenwriter when no one understood how to make a comic book film. This is pre-Batman Begins. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is before people were really engaging the work. And I, I wanted to be one of those people that if I got an adaptation job on something, I could bring the spirit of the comic into the film rather than kind of do that like early 90s thing where, you know, it, it's it's a comic book, so everything is pink, you know, <laughs> and and there's a bunch of wire work and, and you know, it's comics. It's everything, everyone into overacting and, and all that. Um, and and maybe, maybe the time I spent like interpreting and reading comics critically for such a long time uh, how did you, uh, that time served me when I started writing. How did you... I learned to read comics critically, literally, by talking about them and writing bad reviews for years until I was like, oh, actually, I think I understand this. Like, how were you... Did you have a context or sort of learning about them other than were you just applying sort of the, the film and writing stuff to, to the comics that you were reading? And, I mean, like, did, when did... I guess there's sort of two parts of it. There's understanding sort of how the scripts work, and then there's understanding how that works within the art which I, which to me was sort of the big thing. Now I'm like, oh, comic book storytelling is where it's at for me. When when I see that work really well, I'm super impressed. And that's that right. writer artist combination thing. Like, well, you know, like so when it, when it comes to you know kind of realizing a story visually or thinking about a script that you know an artist is going to draw and, and all of that, the filmmakers that I uh, admired were filmmakers that worked cinematically, right? They 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 push their stories forward through images, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if you look at something like Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse Now is a very graphic novel. You know, you've got a yeah. voiceover. You've got splash pages. You know, you've, you've got entire sequences that are just visualization. You've got visual symbolism, juxtaposition. Like, all of the things that you'd see in, in a Bill Cabbage fever dream are, are within, you know, a film mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I think like thinking about, you know, it's sort of like from one thing you learn all things. And I think just thinking about the relationship of images to storytelling so much, um, that helps me when I, when I, when I work with an artist, uh, and I'm writing a script, it's really about what are the key images of this scene, right? Like, like what, what are the key moments? And, you know, and I've I've storyboarded, you know, um, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm not a good draftsman, but you know, I'll storyboard like a short film I'm working on or, you know, I'm, I'm weird, man. I'm like one of those guys that puts on Alien, turns the sound down, turns the color all the way off and just watches it in silence in black and white to see what really Scott's doing visually, right? Studying composition and how all that works. Like, I'll do shit like that. So, uh... So are your scripts very specific? Um, no, in fact. Well, I'll tell you what. First thing I do when I'm working on a comic book with a new artist... Uh, not a new artist to the, right. the business because I've been very lucky. I've managed to work with artists that are veterans, which is largely why I think my work has, has helps. been been a little, a little bit better because the artists have kind of helped me over the over the 
over the net a couple times. But uh, I always reach out and say, what do you like to draw? Yeah. And, and how do you like to work? Right. Because it's working with an artist is a bit like working with an actor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, I find, the, you know, my perspective is rather than try to be a totalitarian that tries to force someone into a process, it's easier for me to work in sync with their process. Right. So, like, if you're working with an actor and that actor is uh, trained in Stella Adler, for instance, which is a very outside in way to build a character. Mm-hmm then you know they're going to need costume. They're going to need information. You know, they they need to build that character. If they're playing like a cop or something, maybe you want to take them over to a firing range, get them used to shooting a gun. You know, you, you want to help them meet with a police officer so they can ask questions and pick up the patois, pick up little behavioral things, right? All that stuff. That's how they work. If, if that character is being played by someone who's Lee Strasberg, it's very method acting, right? Well, they're not so interested in the research of it they're interested in connecting their actual emotions with the emotions of the character, right? Which is a whole different process. So instead of inundating them with information, you need to give them a safe and secure space to explore themselves so they can find the character, right? And like well, some actors might want to rehearse a lot because they're stage trained and they're used to going over it, going over it, and going over it, and they're sort of slow to get there. Film actors, especially method actors, they don't like rehearsal because they, they like to save it all for the take, right? So you don't want to rehearse them into being numb. You just want to kind of run through it very carefully, let them not go full steam ahead just until they feel comfortable with the blocking, what have you, and then you shoot, and then they give it to you, right? So artists are the same way. Like, you know, artists, some artists love a lot of information. Other artists don't want, you know, that much information, Um you know, sometimes I'll I'll have a lot of stuff in my head that I want to get out onto the page, mm-hmm. but I will write at the top of the script, you don't have to do it this way. Like, I have specifics here so you can know what I was seeing when I was writing this, but if you have a better way to do this, do it your way because you know more. This is your floor. It's not my floor, right? Um, so I think that is... Uh, that's been a, 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 a good way of working, I think, for me, you know. Um, uh, but, you know, the genetics, the headline is I, I will sometimes I'll put a lot of detail into a script, but I don't expect the artist to do everything I say. I just think that, you know, they can get all the information, interpret it how they want. And then they, you know, they deliver the images the way that the way that it comes to them. Uh, and uh, I, I feel like that works pretty well. Oh, cool. I'm trying to remember before we went on this tangent where we were. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. No, that's how it's supposed to go. It's totally fine. I was actually listening and I was like, oh, I have to have a question now. Um, so, uh, let's see. What You're doing Batman. Things are coming in like that. Like, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, like, what what was the hardest thing about writing comics sort of when you started? What was the sort of biggest challenge that... that from like that school, like that learning hurdle that if you knew then what you know now about scripting comics, it would have been a lot easier. Uh, I think structure, applying, uh-huh. applying narrative structure to comics, because, you know, you have like Postal was four issue arcs, right? Which is a little weird because you have three acts to a story and you have four issues. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. have to sort of figure out where the second act break is going to happen. Third act break, all of that. So that was difficult. But then what was even more challenging was trying to make sure that every book had three acts. 
in and of itself, right? They, now we're back to the sort of nesting doll idea. Right, right, right. You know, so it's like structure inside of structure inside of structure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really challenging. Uh, uh, you know, I came to understand how to do it by just doing it and not being happy with what I did and then tweaking it and getting better <laughs> about it. And, it, 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 you know, there's not like one thing, you yeah. know, I would say, you know, here or there. Um, it's, you know, it's just more of... A lot of it is just you have to figure out your own way, you know, like, 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 you know, when you start writing, it's like studying a martial art, right? So, uh, um, you know, I, I, I've been studying martial arts for a, for a while. I, I, I'm not as active as I should be now, you know, I'm old and, and soft. I hear you. Uh, you know, when you first start, you don't know anything or you think you know something. And then you go to the school and your sensei, uh, you know, reminds you that you don't know anything. So you got to empty the bucket and then you got to learn stuff, right? And then you start learning the regimented form, uh, and you get through those 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 different forms and, and belts and the rest of it. Then you get a black belt, and you're like, "Well, I got a black belt. Cool. So I'm a black belt. That means something." And then you start sparring other black belts, and you realize you don't know anything again, right? And and then you have to go through another learning period where you take all the regimented stuff you've learned, and you have to interpret it yourself. It, it's sort of like, you know, writing comics is is like the fighting part of it. Um, and so all like you can, you can practice and you can do little things, but really until you get into a fight, you don't really know how you fight. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, you just gotta, you gotta get into a fight. Like it's one thing to be really good at doing the forms, understand the history and the art of the culture. Uh, it's another thing to deal with someone who's trying to kick you in the head. Right. (laughs) So you start to understand by getting kicked in the head. You know what? I should probably not have my head there anymore. Right. It's an um, apt metaphor for a life in comics. Right? Like, you know what? I should get my head out of there. You know, like, I remember, because I, I, my sensei would tell me that, uh, uh, well, it's my Kwan Young Nin, actually, because I studied Taekwondo, so it's Korean art. Um, I studied a little bit of karate, but not too much. But my, my Kwan Young Nin, you know, I, I would ask him, well, how do I block a spinning heel kick to the head? And he's like, you don't have your head there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. It's, it's the martial arts version of Dr. Hurts when I do this. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that, right? So, Perfect. So it's it, yeah, man. So it's not like um, I, I tell you what. It's more honestly, um, if I could reach back and talk to myself, mm-hmm. I would tell myself to calm down about the 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 culture and the business of comics. Um, to not worry so much about your ambition and just do decent work. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's. I used to, I, I still feel kind of outside of comics culture in a lot of ways. You know, I don't know. In, in what books. way do you mean that? Because you said that before, and I'm like, comics culture is, could be a couple of different things. You know, there's there's community of pros, there's the fans, there's the interaction between the fans, there's, you know, journalism sites. <laughs> I struggle getting that word out sometimes from a person yeah, who ran yeah. a comic book website for a long time. But, like, what does that mean to you? Well, meaning I, I don't know a lot of comics pros, uh-huh. you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm in L.A., uh, you know, I've only been to Portland like once and <laughs> it, it wasn't really. No, it was for comics, I think, because I was. No, it wasn't. It was for something else. Um, so I've only been there one time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I don't go to a lot of shows. Um, I, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in a, I'm, I'm interested in different in a lot of different things. I'm yeah, you're doing other things, obviously. Like, my, my interests are very syncretic, right? So I'm always trying to, like, bring in stuff from other 
kind of cultural zones into comics whenever right. I can, right? Like if you look at Michael Cray, for instance, the second half of Michael Cray, when I settle into the story a little bit, because the first half it was, you know, set him up, take him down, set him up, yeah, take him down. Yeah, 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 it was one and done, basically. And then I spoke to Warren, I was like, you know, can I, can I settle in to this, to this back half six? Uh, and do something a little different. He was like, yeah, man, do whatever you want. So if you notice, like, that one gets a little sexier, mm-hmm. right, than the first half did, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it has, you know, kind of different stuff going on. So so a lot of times I feel like a lot of a lot of pros in comics aren't really interested in the same shit I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's sort of like, it's like a weird rhythm to be in, right? Um, I mean, I like everyone very sure. much, and everyone's very kind, Uh but I'm still trying to figure myself out in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's I always find it very odd. Like when someone's like, you know, when someone treats me as if I'm, you know, kind of a person, you know, at the cool kids table in comics, I'm like, I don't even know where the cool kids table is. Like, you know, I'm not even in the lunchroom, bro. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you know, that's that's that. You know, you are in a position where everybody in comics who's a fan thinks that they should be a Chris. You've made it pretty far into the gauntlet, even if it's not that way. But um, I only talk to big names. No, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it's, it's interesting because well, it's funny, but at the same time, like you can say that, but you quoted panels from from Electra Assassin to me earlier. Which is, you know, yeah. that's a, that's a, but then you quoted like a random Dixon quote from, you know, 20 year old comics. That's because know, I'm a nerd. Well, you know, yeah. like I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big nerd, right? Um, so I remember I was talking to Tom, like, because we did that, the DC had this like writer's yeah. uh, retreat thing that they did. I think I posted about it on Twitter a little while ago. And uh, uh, I, uh, Tom and I were riding in the back of an Uber. We were going from like, I think like the hotel to DC Comics or something. And we were sort of talking about that. And, uh, yeah, I'm like, a, I'm like a big nerd, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's I'm still trying to figure out my relationship to the culture, um, you know, as I as I go along, and it's really been helpful to talk to readers online. Mm-hmm. Really, um, to kind of yeah, because I see I see the experiences they're getting out of it, right? And what what matters to me the most is people feel like the book they bought that has my name on it was worth the price of the book, you know. Yeah. Because these books aren't cheap anymore. When I was growing up, you could buy a Slurpee and a comic book and still have three bucks left if you had a five. Yeah. But now it's like five bucks to buy a comic book, right? So I really want to make sure that uh, the experiences are 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 worth it. And and my work is still a lot of experimentation. Like Killmonger, for instance, is me trying to do different things um, that I haven't done before. You know, working in metaphysics in a way that I haven't before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of working in – it's not really a love story. It's more of like a – desire story that's in there, but it's in there, you know, and, and, and working with that. So, you know, I'm still developing a voice, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of, I feel more like a fan than a pro still, you know, I'm, I'm much more comfortable on the other side of the table. Interesting. Do, uh, now I, I, this would be a good place to ask. Now you had tweeted recently that you think you're not going to be doing any comics work after this year. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I have to I have to start focusing on things, mm-hmm. and um, you know my TV writing. Because I'm in my third year of that now, and the responsibilities there are getting larger. Yeah. Uh, so that's certainly a consideration. You know, I'm 41. If I'm going to make a feature film, then I need to do it and stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. So that's something I, I have to focus on. I mean, I'll probably always be working on some kind of comic in some form, you know, forever mm-hmm. you know, as long as people are willing to publish me. Okay. But 
I, uh, I don't want to be one of those folks that just puts a ton of work out there. Right. I, I want everything to be worthwhile for people. Right. And I want, um, I want everything to be unique. And, uh, you know, if I feel like I'm getting to a place where I'm just repeating the same moves with different faces, then I'll need to take a little break to level up my skill set, my voice, so I can come back and do something um, that, I, that I still think is like interesting and, and, and worth the price of admission. So uh, it's not like a well, it's not like a walk away from the medium as much as you know. Last year, I, I did a lot of stuff last year, and I started to feel a bit like that was repeating myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, ooh, I don't want to do that. I definitely don't want to do that. So that's more of where that came from. And then, and to be honest with you, Josh, like the as as surface and silly as it is, the like the social conflicts in comics have kind of bummed me out. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, it's, I, a, I didn't, it's you know, a really weird time. I didn't get into comics to to, to for this. You know? <laughs> no, <laughs> you know I, I, I mean? absolutely but, understand that. And 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 sometimes I find myself like a like a football you know, in that game a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and that I don't, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. So, you know, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can work on some other stuff for a bit. Um, hopefully some of that stuff is successful. Maybe the temperature will calm down a bit in the medium and then I can return when everyone's not trying to kill each other. I mean, I mean, uh, I just, just, so we're clear, are we, are we talking about the, I'm trying to think of the best term for this. You know, there's 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 a big social argument happening in comics right now. I'm talking about the organized and okay. oftentimes brutal dissatisfaction with some of the subject matter of modern comic books. Right. And uh, I mean, you're you're frequently working on characters of color. You uh, you know, and in that yeah, way, you're already taking a side. So I don't. And a lot of it doesn't come directly to me. I think uh-huh. part of that is I'm not going to get mad at somebody for what they say to me on Twitter. Sure. Like it's Twitter, right? <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? Internet me to death? Like, it's gonna be fine. But um, there, you know, people. When I see like creators that I'm friends with mm-hmm. that are just getting so much of this stuff mm-hmm. sent at them, you know, um, to the point where I feel the need to speak out about it and say, "Hey, now calm this down," you yeah. know, like, like that, that, that yeah. just bums me out, you know, and, and it. I've never seen it this this bad. It's and it's really disconcerting because, I mean, I could say this about America in large, but as a microcosm of comics, it's very it, it's it sh- it should be better now and it's not better. It's worse, which is so strange. It doesn't seem like it should have gone that way. Um, yeah, it's a weird you know, and, time. and a lot of my work is, is you know I wouldn't say deliberately controversial, mm-hmm. but I knew it was going to ruffle feathers when I did it. Like something like American Carnage, I well, yeah, I was gonna. Know. I was, I was yeah. definitely. I was going to ask you about that. That's the one. That's the new Vertigo book that uh, I think it was our, the first issue was our pick of the week at, at our site, and uh, I think I just read the second one a day because I got behind in the holidays. But I read the second one. I made sure to read it before I got here, and uh, it's a it's a really it's it's a great book. Like, and I was like, oh, it feels like a Vertigo book, which is what I want because they don't always feel like Vertigo books. But of the sort of relaunch, um, I was like, oh, that that really fits in nicely to the kind of Vertigo that I want to read. Where did that come from? Was that a pre existing thing, or did they ask you to pitch and you came up with that, or? Well, um, Mark and Andy, Mark Doyle and Andy Curry reached out and asked me if I had anything for the uh, 25th anniversary vertical relaunch. And, you know, I told them, ooh, I don't really have any magical realism, mm-hmm. you know, teed up. Like, you know, like a story about a, a cop that sniffs cocaine and <laughs> every time he does that, he turns into a werewolf and he fights fairies. Like, I don't... Thank you for you not know. having that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really have that. And they're like, no, no, you can do whatever you want. Like, 
And I told them, well, when I think of vertigo, my my vertigo was largely scalped, uh, hundred bullets, yeah, um, preacher. Like those were the vertigo books that I, you know, had an affinity for. And and that makes sense because we're almost exactly the same age, and those are my, you know, scalped. Yeah. While it was running, I was like, oh, this is the best thing. And preacher is preacher is literally my favorite, not only comic book series ever. It's my favorite thing ever. Like, oh, this is better. This is a better experience than any movie I've ever watched. Preachers like you know top notch, and even that has a supernatural element, but that's not what's great about it. But either way, well, it's so good, right? And so yeah. oh, it's um, amazing. I've been doing the and American. He was like twenty three when he wrote it. Well, yeah, because you know genius, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, I, I I've been doing the American Carnage research mm-hmm. uh, for about a year, year and a half before um, Andy and Mark reached out to me, and I didn't know what it was going to turn into. Right? Yes. A lot of like you know, a lot of times, Josh, I'll be researching something for a while and have no idea where the story is. Right. Just like, okay, I'm interested in exploring this. Um, I don't know if there's a story in here, but if I keep researching it, I'll find one. Um, and I've been doing that. And then what, were you, what were you research like? Like, where did the kernel of the research start? What is it you were looking for specifically? Just like, well, it started. It started at Charlottesville. Right. Um, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, and and with Dylan Roof. Uh, I guess okay. it was Charlottesville, right? Because the march was in the same place we stopped the church. Right. Uh, and it, you know, like. My grandmother had stories like that. My my mother had stories like that. You know, German shepherds and fire hoses, and you know, and, and folks hanging from the trees and all that. And I I didn't think that I had to be wary of of that kind of thing now, right? That felt yeah. like that that was the past. We have problems now, but that wasn't it. So I, I got. I just got. You know, I'm always interested in the choices people make and the consequences of those choices. And no baby is born with a desire to be a monster. You know, I mean, I guess a certain small percentage of the populace are sociopaths or psychopaths, sure. I'm sure. But for a lot of people, they wind up in a place. And I had a friend that I grew up with uh, in St. Louis who I hadn't connected with for a long time. And when I returned to St. Louis, he'd become a skinhead. Uh, he turned into a far-right kid. And I, mean, I love this kid like family, you know. Um, that is so strange. I, yeah, yeah. You know, and we hadn't connected for a while. And... And when I when I and I bumped into him, when I saw him with his with his crew, when I was in uh, St. Louis a, a while ago, and um, I didn't talk to him there, but I you know reached out to his mom and said, "Hey, it's me. You know, would you be willing to sit down?" And she was upset about what he's doing, but you know, so I sat down with him and started talking to him, and I just got interested in like how people got there and like what this world was like, and 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 it started there, and then it kind of broadened out to deeper ideas about manipulation, self esteem, identity, violence, righteousness, redemption, right. Uh, and all of those things um, started to creep in there, even like the esoteric. I mean, American Carters does take a sojourn into the esoteric because I found that there were a lot of esoteric belief systems in some of these movements. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in the, in the human part of it, right, and, and the common denominators, um, you know, among the extremities. So, yeah, that's really what it was, but it, it didn't, I didn't know if it was going to manifest into a narrative until um, – Andy and Mark reached out and I, I've always been looking for something that I could write that would help me reconcile with my adolescence. And, and by that, I mean, when I was a kid and I was growing up, I was very poor, but I was a scholarship kid. Mm-hmm. So I went to a very, uh, uh expensive uh, high school, um, that I paid tuition for, not most of it. Um, and everyone there was rich mm-hmm. and I wasn't, and I always felt like I was between worlds. Sure. And, and I, I felt like I had to 
figure out a way to pretend to be a thing or make people comfortable, you know, and, and try to cover up the truth of my identity. Right. And so I'd always been looking for some kind of narrative that I could tell, I could tell that let me explore those feelings and the idea of a, you know, a biracial, uh, uh, disgraced former FBI agent who goes undercover into this system that is, is literally hand built to exploit all of his personal weaknesses felt like a good place for me to use the truth of the emotions that I had growing up, even though my circumstances were different because I sure. was a kid and I wasn't FBI and they weren't skinheads. But, um, I could, you know, I could put that in there and that's what I'm always looking for in stories, man, is, is how can I put some of my truth in this, right? Like, you know, how can I put my fear in this? How can I put my, my issues mm-hmm. in this to make this real and to make this honest, whether it's like a Batman story or, um, you know, or Hulk story or whatever, you know, or, or American carnage and, and, and all that. It, it's, I'm always looking for a place to put the honesty and I'm like, well, I could put some of the honesty in there. So I sent them the idea, and I didn't think they were going to do it at all. But there's no way you're going to do this because it's going to be full of words that nobody wants to say. Because I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to write the stuff that I heard, and <laughs> the way that I heard, it, you know, and and I'm just going to put it out there. And I also told them I don't want to make uh, the the far right, and I almost hate to even use right and left because that's sure. not even political, really. But I'm not going to – I'm not turning these extremists into monsters. They are going to be people. They will be people who will do horrifying things. But if you want a book that's just going to soapbox and beat up on people, that's not what I do. You know, um, I'm not deliberately trying to humanize and empathize you know, and sympathize. But I am trying to present you know, people as human beings, not targets. Well, right? That experience with your friend – I think is transparent is not the word, but I can see that in the because uh, I, I never remember character names, but the the woman who is the the daughter of sort of the the head white oh, supremacist, Jennifer. you know, she's a, ostensibly a bad guy, but when you read it, you're like maybe she's not that bad, and I think that that's really interesting. If if you have this experience with your friend who is now a white supremacist skinhead, you know, but it's somebody who you were close with at one time, that is, I I don't know how you do that without, you know, like taking it personally without, you know, well, people are, people are complicated and, yeah. and, and pe- people are hypocrites, you know? Yes. And, uh, you know, St. Louis is a weird place, man. St. Louis is a place where someone could be an absolute bigot, but they would still pick you up on the side of the road and take you home, mm-hmm. you know, um, where you're good ones, you know? Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. And it was hard for me growing up, man. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad I did in retrospect because it's impossible really to be in a bubble with my upbringing. You know, when you're a scholarship kid, and you know, you're a black kid in St. Louis, you live in a largely Orthodox Jewish neighborhood and rabbis are talking to you about like the Talmud, you know, um, uh, while they're teaching you what kosher stuff is because you went into a Jewish deli asking for a cheeseburger. Um <laughs> That's not going to work. You know, like, that's not going to work, right? <laughs> so so I think that's probably why my interests are all over the place anyway, is because my life was all over the place <laughs> growing up, you know? Like, I just had, you know, I went to a Montessori school when I was a grade school kid, and my teacher, Anjana Chowdhury, uh, was an Indian immigrant, mm-hmm. a lovely woman, wise woman, you know, who, who would teach us when we were sitting cross-legged, um, 
you know, in a semicircle and we were drinking tea in the afternoon, you know, and <laughs> I was, you know, I was learning about like Ganesha and like Kali and things like that. Like, so I'm such a mess of influences <laughs> that, that uh, a lot of my writing is me just trying to straighten out my own crazy mind, you know, and um, yeah, and, and I just told him I didn't want, you know, I didn't want a soapbox because that's a simple thing. And we don't need to bother an artist and you don't need to pay me to write it. And we don't need to worry about publishing something that's already kind of a fait accompli from the beginning. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you're going to write a comic book about why racism is bad, well, hopefully most people know racism is bad. One, two, I if they don't so. know racism is bad, <laughs> then your comic book isn't going to change their mind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's, it's, you know, like that's not going to make a difference. You know, like they're, it's like anti-Semites don't watch Schindler's list. No. You know? So, so if, if the point of it is to convert people or to convince people, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not sure how effective fiction is at convincing people of anything. But I do think that fiction is very effective at exploring things, exploring dangerous things in. Uh, well, readers can explore dangerous things in a safe way mm -hmm. and writers explore dangerous things in a semi dangerous way. Right. It's interesting because that, that is a line where, and I, I think I've been seeing this in comics a lot more, where people are trying to explore social issues, but it's really easy to tread the line of being too on the nose. And I, I think obviously something like American Carnage, you're, you're talking about race and racism in, in the context of right now, really, but it's not like, uh, what was I thinking of? Well, like, like the movie, you know, the movie Crash, and I was like, that was like they were trying to teach us there was racism. I was like, I know there's racism. I don't need you well, to. Well, it's funny. I was I was having um uh, drinks with Mike Cole, who's a novelist I'm very fond of. He's mm -hmm. um he's got a couple, some great books from Tor, um yeah. uh, that he's written, and and he's a fan of American Carnage. And so we were talking about it, and and we were just joking about how everybody in that book would would be a villain in someone else's book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there no one in that book is clean. Yeah. Right. Like. No one, I mean, no one, you know, everyone is, is doing, is, is doing wrong things for, for reasons they believe are justified, right? Everyone is wearing a blanket of righteousness in a way, um, yeah. their own, own version of it. And, and that's interesting to me as a storyteller and how, uh, how readers engage that is kind of how they engage it, right? Like, you know, I'm more interested in the journey of this, this fellow who's got to figure out who he is and what he believes when that stuff gets tested to an nth degree and it gets tested because he gets, he's, you know, he's going to start to gain some power. Mm -hmm. Right. And when a powerless person uh, starts to gain power, he might not question so much where the power comes from, you know, and, uh, and those things are, are, are interesting to me to explore because I think that's a more universal deal. You know, it's, it's the, the, the cover stuff, the, you know, the burning crosses and, and the lightning bolts and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's in there and I'm, and, I, and I'm presenting it in a stark way, hopefully with the verisimilitude that it deserves. But a lot of it is really allegorical to more universal issues mm -hmm. about corruption, you know, and about, um, about how we can be manipulated by our worst, uh, impulses. When you're writing this kind of thing and thinking about it, do the themes tend to come first or do the themes sort of pop out of what the characters do? Um, kind of simultaneously, man. Yeah. Like. You know, um, what I usually do before I start organizing something with characters and structure is I'll just open up a Word document, put on a playlist of music, and just start writing thoughts. Mm -hmm. The stream of consciousness, whatever comes to my mind, right? And I'll just go and go and go and go and go until I feel spent. Uh, and some of it's dialogue. 
Some of it's character stuff. Some of it's like, oh, someone that can look like this. Um, some of it will be like a, a, you know, philosophical concepts and whatever. And then I'll go through that document and kind of highlight the things that uh, matter and like, you know, uh, uh, kind of get rid of the fat and keep the red meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from that, I'll design the story. Um, but, I, you know, but I do have certain thematic things I, I keep in mind. Um, uh, for sure when I'm writing anything, but that also is going to change. You know, it's, I put a lot of myself into my work and I find that I'm a little different after the projects are done. Right. So like Michael Cray, I, I, you know, Michael Cray changed me a little bit, you know, Batman changed me a little bit. American carnage is changing me a little bit. Right. So whatever my obsession may have been in issue one might shift by issue 12 to like, to like a new thing. You know, I, I thought, I thought the story was about this. You know what? It's actually about this. So let me explore that. So, you know, I, I try to stay kind of open and um, and reactive to where my mind wants to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm curious. So do you feel like you get – are you getting offered a lot of black characters or is that you're interested or is it both of those things happening? And, and therefore, like, does that concern you or, like, that you'd be that's pigeonholed? A, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, one of my missions when I came out of film school was to be a writer of color that wasn't known as a guy who writes people of color exclusively. Mm-hmm. That, that, frankly, a writer of color that a white executive would feel comfortable hiring to write someone who wasn't black. Right? Right. Um, because I wanted to open up the doors of possibility for creators to do uh, whatever they wanted. Um, and, 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 you know, people might get angry with me about this, but I, I want to live in a world where if someone has a really great story, it doesn't matter what they look like, they should be able to tell it, you know, like I have a friend of mine, um, and I can't go into details about it, but you know, he's a white guy and he's working on a story that, uh, that has deep connections into the black community, the global black community, really. And, you know, he's somewhat concerned about, you know, is, is he allowed to do this, you know? And, um, I'm like, well, if the story is good, the story is good, right? Like, and equality really comes about when we're, we're not pigeonholing people and putting people into categories and mm-hmm. setting aside things for people because you're a woman. So we're going to set aside women for you and you're gay. So we're going to set aside gay characters for you. Like, no, no, no. Like, like, you know, I want, I want everyone to feel free to express themselves and we can judge the work in its own merits, you know, uh, and if something like – if you get like a green book, which seemingly fails a little bit with its level of, level of insight, mm-hmm. then OK, that happens. But that doesn't mean that will happen every time, mm-hmm. right? And if I – like I'm working on a, um, I'm working on a, a graphic novel uh, script. I um, have it like taken it to a publisher or something. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a script about Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sold already. I'm not a rich white guy from Massachusetts. Right. (laughs) And I'm not a Catholic. Right. So, uh, you know, I I don't fit the bill, but I think I'm telling a pretty good story, you know, Mm -hmm. about this man. So, yeah. So to answer your question. Oh, gosh, man. I mean, I'll be honest. When DC reached out to me about um, that Detective Comics arc, I'm like, well, Black Lightning is in it. So, you know, I I can do the math. Yeah. Right. Um, Well, it's like it's good, but it's also, well, (laughs) you know. Okay, right, uh, and I, I and I told you like, well, it's up to me to mm-hmm. to do to do more to make this more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, right. 
And uh, I tried with those five issues to demonstrate that, you know, I can also write Batman. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can actually write Bruce Wayne, too. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I tried to, to do that with it. Um, and, you know, Postal uh, was 25 issues of mostly white people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and... It's it's weird. Like, in, you know, in comics, I think, you know, there might be a little bit of a, well, we have a black character. Can we get a black writer? I think that's maybe more of a – Hollywood is changing a little bit about that, you know, I, but – I've been watching in comics and what I, I think that we're seeing – it's on – there's – this is – see, right now I'm always like, I don't know if I should – but it feels like there's a little bit of an overcorrection. We've gone from wanting to have representation, which is completely valid and good, but now – there is a thing where, like, well, the women are going to write the women characters, and the white people can't write anything without, you know, checking if it's okay. And then black character, black readers writing black characters, and that's like those things are ostensibly good. But there's a bit where I was reading, even for example, like uh, American Carnage, where I thought, could a white writer get away with writing this? And I was like, I don't know if he could right now. He oh, should, that's, a, that's that's a really interesting point, Josh. Like, and I brought that up with DC. Mm-hmm. You know, I I told them. Um, that only Nixon can go to China, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, that's kind of what it is, right? Like, because I am black, if someone reads that book and they're like, who is this Brian Hill? <laughs> what is this guy really think? Mm? Yeah. You know, like, because there, there are times when, like, when Morgan will be talking and it'll sound a little too impassioned, <laughs> right? Like, and it gets worse. And there are, I mean, the I think the last issue of this arc what I wanted it to be was I wanted it to be like a white supremacy recruitment pamphlet for the first half of the <laughs> arc, for first half of the book, right? Like, like the first half of the book is like Steve King unleashed, you know? <laughs> it's just like that's that's how you make Steve King. Right? Well, I passed the test then because at the end it wasn't like you know what I'm I've been thinking about this all wrong. <laughs> so, so and and I, I if I if I was a white guy and I'm not white so I don't know what that's like, but. I could see how people would be like, ooh, I don't know, because we're not 100% sure mm-hmm. you don't feel like Win Morgan, right? We're not 100% sure you don't feel like this yeah. character in the book. Um, and, and yeah, I am aware of the fact that my blackness provides me some insurance against people thinking that these are actually my thoughts, you know? And... You know, is that fair? I don't know. I wasn't you know? even thinking about it in, in that terms. I was actually thinking about even the the voice of the black character. I think that there is, like, uh, I don't know. They're, they're maybe saying it's, it's appropriation if a white character tries to write this. That's why oh, there's a backlash yeah. against somebody like Quentin Tarantino now. Where like, well, you weren't really able to, you shouldn't have been writing that. And at the time, everyone was like, this is great. He understands everything. And it's different now, which is just an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, well, I think I, I think what's happening is just other like I remember watching Pulp Fiction, and uh, you know sitting through the uh, the the dead. I'll say N word on your podcast. Yeah. I'm not really a person that that censors myself, but mm-hmm. for the purposes of your podcast, I'll say. I mean, word. you can say whatever you want. I'm not no, going to okay. say it, but well, it's it, okay. No, but there, there is a thing. No, I, I know what you mean. Okay, go ahead. Um, and so I'm watching. You know, I'm watching this scene. And I'm like, hmm, you know, I, as a, as a work of art, I'm like, yeah, make your choices, you know, like make your choices, tell your story. This is a film full of contemptible people. Um, it is what it is, but it wasn't the most pleasant thing to sit through, 
either, uh-huh. right? Um, and and now I think with social media and with the way people can share their feelings, there were a lot of people that felt that way back when Pulp Fiction was released, but they just had no one they could say it to. Yeah, I think that's you know, you, you, you say it to you say it to your friend you saw it with, or you, or you talk to your parents about it, or whatever. But you didn't really have an outlet for it. So it's, I, I think a lot of a lot of times people are like, well, people are more offended now. No, they're just more vocal about it. Now, yeah, right. And and there is like a pendulum, a little bit of backlash because then it's like, well, since we're talking about this comic book that came out this month, let's go on ahead and talk about this other movie that came out five years ago. And since we're at that, yeah, let's talk about this TV show from the fucking eight. Right? And so a lot of times people people are just getting it all out of it. They're getting it off their chest, uh-huh. you know. And then what happens is someone says, yeah, this TV show from back in the day, that rubbed me the wrong way. And someone else says, you know what? It rubbed me the wrong way, too. And and now, like, a community forms around that, and that community has some power um, because of its numbers and the amplification of their of their thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that happens. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, like, me and, and, and uh, American Carnage and, you know, the idea of cultural appropriation, you know, it's... I, I treat cultural appropriation like pornography. I know it when I see it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to it's hard to give you like a Webster's definition of that. You know, like it's it's nuanced and complex. But for a lot of people, it's not. For a lot of people, it's just a full stop. It's a it's a polemic. It's an either or. You're wet or you're dry. That's what it is. Um, I think the the debate around this stuff is healthy. Um, because we've never really had this debate on Moss before. Um, and I, I I don't know where it resolves itself or if it ever resolves itself, but I mean, you know, it's, it's just part of kind of the, the human experience of interpreting and experiencing art. Yeah. And, and I think that that is absolutely valid too. Um, I, it does feel a little like there are some restrictions and walls being put up that is, you know, on the one hand, it's it's helping sort of one side of the thing, and then it's sort of not helping in the the creativity side of things. And people don't know what's okay right now. And again, yeah, I mean, that, that, that conversation you know, is interesting. There's a lot of you know, a lot of uncertainty um, um, kind of out there, but you know, I, I I just always say the same thing: write the best thing you can yeah. write. You know, create the best thing you can create, um, and you know, and, and take it from there. You know, like. Uh, if Post Malone's music was a little better, he wouldn't get a, he wouldn't get so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he's got a couple things I can listen to. A lot of them I can't. You know, like so. Yeah, it's 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 certainly like in a. I, I believe this conversation is in its adolescence. Probably. Um, and you know, like everything in its adolescence, it's more kind of more power than pragmatism. Um, but I, but I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just creating like, I, I, eventually I think this results in just kind of a, we, maybe in, in an open consideration of things and, you know, kind of getting more perspectives from, from people is, is usually a good thing. It's, yeah. you know, it always gets rough when like, you know, people feel like they can't make the moves they would want to make before and all that. Like, I'm not particularly funny. So <laughs> what goes on with comedy doesn't really affect me personally. Um, but I can understand the comedian saying, you know, 
you know, like, well, I used to be able to make a joke about this, and now I can't anymore. And I guess, like, I'm like, well, you still can make a joke about that. Just people don't laugh as much. <laughs> It'll have you different know, consequences like, now. Yeah, there's well, different consequences. It's right? interesting like, it's, to know. have that conversation. You know, you said, you know, the first time you saw Pulp Fiction, you saw it in two different ways. And I've never had that conversation with somebody. You know, I, I went to a super white school. I'm from Maine, so do your own conclusions there. You know. Sure. But, it, you know, at the time, everybody thought, oh, we're, we're liberal, you know, kids and, and everyone says it's OK. There's there's black people in this movie. And and then we think, well, that must not have bothered anybody because nobody said anything then. And usually, you know, 20 years later, 24 years later. Good God. Um, you know? Yeah. I, and I think that's the misinterpretation yeah. of the current conversation is that it's these current snowflakes. on. No, no. It bothered people back then. They just didn't have anyone they could talk to about it that you would hear. So, so now what's happening is all of the conversations that were happening in the dark are happening out in the public, and then other people are realizing, oh, wait a minute, I wasn't the only person that was bothered by that. And then I have the, I have the option of being defensive and offended by the fact that you told me that something I enjoyed was possibly offensive, or I can say, oh, I understand that. And it, it's really hard to do the former, apparently. Yeah, well, you know, and, and two things can be true simultaneously, right? Yes, like, yes. And and that's like, for instance, I was talking to Zach Stentz uh, on Twitter about X-Men First Class. And and Zach and I don't know each other well. We talk on Twitter a lot. He's a screenwriter. He's, you know, he's really writing a bunch of things. He's a really talented guy, really nice guy. And I was I was giving him a little shit about Darwin because I'm like, how come he had to just come in the movie and die like that? It's a great actor. You know, uh, uh, you know Eddie uh, Gathegi is a great actor. And Darwin just kind of became the sacrificial lamb for Sebastian Shaw. And I'm like, hmm. And I'll be honest. Sometimes I look at um, um, uh, Matthew Vaughn's work and I'm like, mm, I don't know what team you playing for, bruh. You know? Um, uh, but, that, but that could just be like, you know, that, that could be, as, as, as they say, that could just be my shit. So, you know, um, it's, it's, I don't, you know, there's no kind of like, you know, right thing about it. You know, yeah. I had, it's funny, like I had I, my book Romulus, image book from a while ago, there's a review of Goodreads that talks about how racist it is. And I don't think the person who wrote the review knows that I'm black. <laughs> um, but I, but who am I to tell them that they didn't have that experience? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's their experience with it. Not my intention, but that's the experience they had with it. Right. So I, I, it's hard to find a, a one-size-fits-all strategy. But in general, what I, do, what I do is if a person is sincerely articulating the experience they had, um, I, if, and if I didn't immediately kind of get it, I try to understand it. So I, so especially if it's like, okay, if I, if, I, if I go left instead of right here at this cho- choice that doesn't break my story, will it not harm more people? Well, then let me go left. You know what I mean? Like, that's an easy choice for me to make. You know, it's like, you know, I was talking to someone else about um, I will never put rape in anything I write. Yeah. Because I don't think it's ever worth it. You know, if 25 percent of women have been through some kind of sexual violence Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a stat is a stat like I I don't know. Like, it's a stat I hear. I hear it a lot. Is it true? I'm not a I'm not a scientist. Don't know. But if it's even possible that a quarter of the women that would encounter my work would get taken back to a terrible place because I decided I had to be gritty. Yeah. Um, no, I just won't make that choice. That's self-censorship. I'm censoring myself. I will never do that. You know, I, 
So I think you just got to kind of figure your own way through. And I think that's that's I mean, I think that's the right choice because it is a thing that you're dropping that bomb in the middle of a story and all of a sudden your story doesn't matter anymore because and and that 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 it's funny the reaction to that to, to rape has has changed. You know, like it's not it's not acceptable is not the right word, but it's not a lightly taken story point anymore, and it was at one point. So I, I mean, I, I understand. That. I think that's a, and, you know, it's, things like that can be like a shorthand. You know, yes. uh, like I, I, I'm, I, I need to put some trauma in this. Well, this will make this will make the villain dark, and it will give the female character something she has to overcome, whatever. And it can be like a shallow kind of you know um, uh, choice there. But I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that a creator that would do that is a bad person. No, I just won't do it. And yeah. it's important to me that whether they're women or men, anyone who, who buys something that has my name on it knows I'm not going to put you through that. Mm-hmm. I might put you through some other shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I'm like I, you know, I'm, I might hang somebody from a tree. I might have some nasty words, you know, <laughs> like, you know, that might all happen. But That's I'm your not going to put, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to put you through that, you know? Um, and, well, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit as we wrap it up. Um, uh, <laughs> I could go on, but uh, then, then the people on the internet on social media will come after us, and we don't want that. Um, no. Oh, they've been they've been after me. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I can't, I honestly I can't I can't even imagine being a pro in comics at this point. It's it, on social media. It's got to be just dodging bullets left and right. Yeah, it's not it's not so bad. Okay. I mean, I. I what what helps me is remembering that you never know what somebody is going through when they're talking to you on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very grateful uh, and, and I've been very fortunate to be in the position I'm in, to be able to do what I do for a living. Sure. And um, if someone's having a bad day and yelling at me makes that day a little bit better, yell at me. It's fine. Um, <laughs> you, you are exceptionally more enlightened than I am at this point. <laughs> and we're, so and we're the same age, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I, I always tend to take that stuff really personally and I'm like why sure, you make me sure. feel bad you know so I just block everybody who even starts to make me feel bad um, right on <laughs> that's my coping mechanism hey uh, and then, like, look everyone everyone must walk their own path yeah true <laughs> so I don't I've never told someone how to live so let, let me ask is you have sort of uh, made your your way up in professional comics you've, you've created a lot of comics you have um you know, you've learned a lot about the medium and have been inside it. Like, is there comic book work now that that speaks to you more than it would have in the past? Or is there like, as you, like your idea of what your favorite comics are, has that changed? Oh, man, you know, it's hard to, you know, it depends on what, you know, r- stories have always been friends and helpers mm-hmm. uh, for me. Sure. So what the experience I'm having depends on the place I'm in, right? Like. You know, like I, I'm, I'm really fond of Teeny Howard's uh, Euthanauts. I think that that is a, uh, it's a, a kind of a brilliant and intimate exploration of mor- mortality, and, and, and you know, and, and how it affects you know us in, in, in all the vagaries. I think it's it's great work being done there. Um, I'm very very fond of Tom's work on Batman. Yeah. Uh, just the the complications and the and and you know what he's doing. You know, kind of with the character and, and the settling in the character and. The uh, the kind of the, the alchemical sort of solvent co- coagula kind yeah. of approach he takes to break him down to rebuild him again. Um, I, I really I am I, I know Tom I've known Tom since before he was very successful but like he I, I'm amazed that Batman is as successful as it is 
um, based on what he's doing because it seems so n- not like a popular kind of thing. You know what I, you know what I mean? Like, well, I, think I don't know. He's getting away with it, basically. It's, it's a testament working. to Tom's strength as a storyteller yes. and also the power of Batman as a character, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, uh, um, people will ride with Batman through a lot of stuff. They might not ride with another character through. And I've read uh, bad Batman runs, though, and it goes all in. And I'm not saying it's bad, but it is to me pretty esoteric. And it's really interesting that it's 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 striking a chord with the with the mainstream audience in the way that it is. And, and that's super impressive because mainstream yeah, audience doesn't I, always I impress me. I think the human soul right now is hungering for ideas. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're we're we have a lot of lies being told to us, a lot of propaganda being handed down to us. And I think we can feel that distance between us and truth. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. we're 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 seeking Jeez. out mythology, you know. We're seeking out these things. And I think Tom's writing kind of speaks to the moment in that way. Not not that that's by like not that he's like thinking about it like in by cultural intention, you know. Tom's a bit like David Bowie, like he just does what matters to him, and it, it's like the young Americans. You're like, mm-hmm. well, you're a genius. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. So that that works, you know, like really strong. Uh, to be honest, I don't follow. A tremendous amount of things, and Black mm-hmm. Monday Murders by Hickman, um, I really enjoyed because I oh, like yeah. the conspiracy and like the shady dealings elements of that. And that's I just like the the kind of the challenging way that Hickman tells a story. You know, you have to you have to have patience with him, and yeah. he doesn't spoon feed you at all, and he'll leave you lost for a little bit before he finds you at the edge of the forest. And uh, not a lot of folks are are uh, bold enough to do that these days. So. Um, I appreciate that. Like Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk, you know, that's also Hulk is one of my favorite characters just to read. I love the Hulk. You know what's interesting is um, I almost never get into Hulk stories, but I have been reading that series and enjoying it because it's yeah, just yeah. different enough that I'm like I don't know where it's going and I, I that surprise to me is such a big thing in my comics right now because I've been reading them and and talking about them professionally for, you know, 20 years. So when something I'm like I don't know what this is, but I'm also compelled to read it. That's that's such a great alchemical reaction. Yeah, Al's Al doing you know phenomenal work in that. So yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, to be honest, I am always like overwhelmed with yeah. how many books there are to read. Yeah. Now. Yeah, definitely. There's so much, and, and they're and, double shipping. <laughs> and they're double shipping. My Ken, my Kindle, and my my iPad. It's like full of things that I know are great that I have to find time to read. It's, it's like everything is Netflix now where you just have this endless queue and then you might watch Bird Box just so you don't have to hear everyone talking about it forever <laughs> and know what they're talking about, right? And that's almost the same thing with comics. You know, it's like, well, I guess I have to, I got to make time to read Mr. Miracle because everybody's talking about it and I want to know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it takes, it takes something knocking on the door of my world a lot from different sources before I can set aside the time I'd be spending on watching something on Netflix to you know, read a read a comic, but no, I, I mean, I, I, it's it the my my relationship with the form I don't think has changed very much. I think I, honestly, I think some of the work that I loved that was a little bit left of center would be a little bit more towards the center now. Like I think sure. Electra Assassin now, um, you know, because of like what Tom and Mitch are doing, you know, with what they did with Sheriff and what they did with Mr. Miracle and what they're doing with Batman, I think because of that people would be able to kind of get more out of that now maybe, maybe than they did then. So I, I, actually, I, think I a, need to go back and read it. that because I think I read that too early. Like I don't think I was ready for it when I, I have it, you know, and I, I never quite yeah, got yeah. it. No, yeah, it's, 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 it's that thing, man. Yeah. It's, you know, Electro Assassin was kind of like Pink Floyd for me. <laughs> I didn't get it at first, 
like I, you know, I saw people with the prison T-shirts and the rainbows and all that, and I was like, okay, this matters to people, but I don't know what this is. And then I listened to like you know, um, the Wall, still didn't get it. Watched the Wall, still didn't get it. But then you listen to like Wish You Were Here and Welcome to the Machine comes on, and you're like, oh, I get this shit. <laughs> right? Like you find you like find your track, you know, like oh, wait a minute. That was animals for me. See, okay, right. <laughs> Right, so and I think Electro Assassin is like that. Like yeah. you kind of go back to it, and you're like, wait a minute, but this this second book here, woo, this is the business. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and it can kind of continue to speak to you that way. Uh, definitely. All right, so uh, let's see. What you got? What do you got? Stuff coming out? Are you doing stuff? Anything you need to need to do the the business of uh, the business of thing? Pitching. Well, I know people are. Uh, I know there is much wailing and gnashing of teeth about the status of outsiders. So. I can confirm to everyone that Outsiders will be on the way in 2019. Um, uh, Dexter and I are uh, still working on that, and it, it just got got pushed back a little bit so we could incorporate some other things that are happening in the wider DCU. But that book is coming. I can't tell you exactly when. Um, I, what I will say, you'll probably have it by summer, I would imagine. Um, but just keep posted to my Twitter, uh, um, you know, at Brian Edward Hill, Brian with a Y. Um, uh, for that, um, I have a couple other things I can't really announce yet, but I have a lot of work coming. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I did mention my 2019 and no possible hiatus afterwards, but however that all shakes out this year, I have a, a lot of work on the way. So, uh, um, I would tell people to, to pay attention to outsiders. Postal season two is being crafted right now. We're going nice. to, you know, those, those are going to be on the shelves very soon working with Rafael Iaco on that. Um, you know, I'm doing some work on Cyberforce with Atelier Rojo. These are both top cow books that are out there, you know, and ch- uh, check out Titans. Uh, I believe Titans is, um, internationally it's available on Netflix now. I don't know when and if it's going to hit domestic Netflix, but you can also see it on the DC streaming service. Um, so season one is up there right now for people to, to binge and hopefully enjoy and, I'm working on season two uh, um, with the other writers on our little Titans family, and uh, that'll be on the way. And besides that, you know, I was follow me on Twitter. And more announcements will come. Cool. Sounds like you're having no trouble keeping busy. Trying, trying to, man. You know, <laughs> trying to. Fantastic. Well, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with me for a little while. Thank you for having me. I hope this was useful. I, I just kind of prattled on a bit about a bunch of things, but I hope <laughs> it was entertaining for your listeners. <laughs> That's the point, man. That's how it works. Right on. Well, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure to be here. And that will do it for another episode of Talksplode. Again, I am Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com. I want to thank Brian Edward Hill for taking the time to talk to me. I genuinely enjoyed that conversation a ton, and I was uh, glad to get a chance to talk to him. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed it, too. To learn more, go to ifanboy.com. You can comment on the show. You can check out our Pick of the Week podcast, if you have not, where we talk about the best books of the week. And, of course, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Uh, those uh, patron supporters are the reason that we're doing these shows again. And uh, I, for one, very much appreciate it, and I hope you do, too. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.